Hello and welcome to a special edition of the In the Money Players podcast. We're going live uh, for our friends at Santa Anita. We're going to be looking at this Saturday card and the pick six that we've got going for that. Going to have a couple of guests joining us in a few minutes, but we'll start off with some preliminary stuff. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you with the Brooklyn Bunker once again, as you can see. And very excited to be talking about uh, these races at Santa Anita with you on Saturday. We'll also put in a quick plug for some of the stuff we've got going on. If you were to join our In The Money Plus service right now, you'd have the opportunity to get not only all of our Plus material for uh, this month, which includes little digests of picks from all the shows, but also our Breeders' Cup package, which is going to include a lot of uh, great and additional information. The best place to go for all of that, inthemoneypodcast.com slash plus. You can get all of that. Uh, you get all of that info. Very proud of the work we do when it comes to that Breeders' Cup package. Very excited for this year's Breeders' Cup at uh, Santa Anita. One other programming note to pass on from our friends at the University of Arizona. There's going to be a special NHC contest that you have to be registered to come to the symposium. The symposium takes place in early December. It's a great time out there in Tucson, which is actually a pretty darn cool city. Nice for East Coasters, especially that time of year when you're dealing with the cold in so many parts of the country. But going to be a bunch of great panels this year. Fantastic opportunity for networking. And then you get the opportunity to participate in this NHC contest. Go to RacingSymposium.com to get all of the information on that. One of our guests is in the green room. He looks ready. So I say we bring him in now, coming to us from the, the sunny climes of California in a familiar setting, but with a new haircut. He is Duke Matisse. Duke looking sharp. <laughs> yeah, I had to cut, cut all my bad luck out of my hair. <laughs> <laughs> I was convinced Kimberly had made you do it, but that's also, that's another that's another very plausible excuse. How how are things going, my friend? You getting, uh, you getting ramped up for this Breeders' Cup season out there? Uh, not quite yet. Um, I got to go to Palm Desert first and uh, enjoy the sun. So I'll go out there. I always go out there at the end of October every year. So I get a little relaxation in before the Breeders' Cup. So it's, uh, it's a good move for me. A little bit of golf out there in the, in the desert. Is that, is that about right? Golf and sun and uh, pool and, uh, you know, take some time off. It's fun. No, that sounds, that sounds very, very good. How's your record been at previous Santa Anita Breeders' Cups? As a better, what do you think about Santa Anita as a venue for for the you? No, I'm still I we see you, Duke. Can you can you not hear me? I will send Duke a note. I think he probably just has to pop out and come back. Um, because he is frozen for us, but I'm sure oh. he'll be back. Oh, are you are you back? I was gonna I don't know what you. happened there. It's foggy what? here, so uh I might have a I might have a little it's I mean it's dense fog uh, in in California today. So I don't know uh if my signal's gonna go in and out, but hopefully yeah. it'll stay stay good. Yeah, well you froze for a minute. If, the other thing I'd suggest if you do freeze sometimes on this program, StreamYard's what we use for these shows. If you leave and come back, you have the opportunity to do it. But I was just asking you what you thought of Santa Anita as a host venue for the Breeders' Cup in general, from like a gambling point of view. Well, it's a tremendous venue, as as you know. Um I mean, you have the. I, I don't think they're running on the hill, though. I thought I heard uh, they're running five. Not, not the sprint. Not the sprint. I do believe the the mile and a half and mile and a quarter starts will still be at the bottom part of that hill. But the the turf sprint is going to go five on the main oval, which I agree 
kind of loses something a little bit special about about Santanita. That's six and a half really fun in the way it brings the sprinters and sort of the milers together. We won't have that. It'll be more of a sprinter sprint going five, but we will see the hill, I think, uh, when it comes to that mile and a quarter of the Philly and Mare turf, which I think, you know, we've seen this in the past with that, like in the instance of Day at the Spa a few years ago, horses that look like milers on paper can sometimes get that mile and a quarter when they start down the hill. That might come into effect for a European runner like in Spiral, who sounds like she'll be targeting that race instead of the mile. It's 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 interesting, you know. I think I prefer the longer Philly and Mare turf generally, but there's also something kind of fun about trying to puzzle out how Santa Anita is gonna the configurations gonna affect some of these European runners. Yeah, I mean, I probably won't affect them much because I think they're gonna dominate. So uh, I don't. Our our older turf horses are not uh, not up to par as uh, they used to be. Um, I just think they're. They're just going to get outclassed. I would, as long as the right ones come over. And I haven't looked yet, but I assume that some of those guys are going to have the right ones, and we can't beat them. And I mean, more like Goddess is the only one that maybe has a chance. But uh, since, they took, since they took Rosario off, that was a that was the tremendous move. He he never got along with that horse, and uh, I don't understand it why it took him so long. But uh, that was strange. That was very strange. She she was very impressive the other day. What JK has been very high on up to the mark, who ran in the mile race at Keeneland, and now apparently will be stretching out to the mile and a half. That would be the other American you'd think would have a chance at, you know, maybe even just hitting the board against against these. That race didn't come back super fast, but it did sound like kind of a pure prep. So yeah, that's Butcher's horse. He's a nice that's a nice horse. Uh yeah. Yeah, that's a nice horse. I don't. I still don't think he will be able to compete with the with the Europeans, but we'll see. Yeah, it's it. It isn't. It isn't easy. Will you be? You'll be attending. I can. I can only assume. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I, I, you know, I might uh, do uh, something different this year. I might just try to watch them all from right here with my computer. And uh, it's just when I go, I kind of lose sight of of the gambling part of it. Yeah. And, you start it's to have more, fun. It's more, yeah, it's more about the atmosphere and the, you know, having fun and seeing people and, and dressing up and doing all that. And and I got to travel up and back and it's not the easiest uh, commute in the world. So especially when they start early in the morning. Yes. So for me, I think this year I'm going to uh, take the approach of staying home and maybe having some people here and, uh, you know, having, they can, they can party in the, inside my house if they if they want to dress up. <laughs> Get the war room set up so that you can dip in and out of that, but have a chance to to take this stuff seriously. It is true. The game's hard enough these days when you're focused on a day-to-day basis, let alone some of the uh, the stuff that happens to you when you're out there in the world uh, trying to socialize. But I'll tell you, for me, Breeders' Cup, and obviously I'm in a very different position, but for, for me with, with Breeders' Cup, the, the one-stop shopping the just the incredible fun that you get to have is uh is well worth the 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 distraction and i will it does lead me towards you know trying to get trying to get bets in early and whatnot but then of course the problem with that is you can't adjust to things you see throughout the day and it you know it wasn't that long ago with the santa anita breeders cup that we had that at least on day one the, the that crazy speed bias and things like that become a lot harder to take advantage of if you're putting your bets in ahead of time yeah, there's, I mean, 
I mean, I love going. Don't get me wrong. I love going, but I got to start uh, looking at these big days as as uh, financial opportunities because there's not too many regular days you can make a lot of money anymore. And uh, for me, I got to I gotta stay off the sauce that day and kind of kind of just take it. The cake What's bread that? stays in the cooler. The cake bread stays in the cooler until the last race is, is done. Is that what you're doing? At least me? until uh, late in the day. You know what I mean? There's a, you know, five o'clock somewhere, maybe one of those things. You know. <laughs> yeah, but I anyway, I just, I just don't think there's any, any way to make money except for on these big days. And for me, I got to take advantage of, of uh, some, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of money. That's not computer money with, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard enough. Making hay while the sun shines, I think, is one is one way of putting it, Duke. Well, we do have another guest who will be joining us, but I say we kick off with this pick six at San Antonio. Actually, before we get to the pick six, I'll just ask you, did you have anything earlier on the card that, that leapt out to you, anything you wanted to talk about before we get to the pick six? The early races weren't that weren't tremendous on Saturday. There's a, you know, like start off with a six for a long turf race that wasn't too exciting for t- two-year-old um the second race is a is a mile claimer bottom claimer so nothing really i do i do like a horse in race three um horse's name is quora i've always thought quora was a better uh dirt horse than uh than turf and i don't know what happened at del mar on the dirt but i'm throwing out that race some horses you know uh didn't don't care for del mar dirt especially remember arrogant he hated del mar dirt never yep. Never ran a step down there. So I'm going on that angle that that horse just didn't like uh, the Del Mar dirt. And if you look at his Santa Anita dirt races, they're stellar. I mean, they, they lay over this field. The horse, if the horse runs anywhere near that, we'll win this race. One quora worth a, a long look in race number three. We do have our second guest here, a man whose uh, voice you hear on these airwaves all the time. You hear him uh, behind the mic at Sam Houston. Read him at inthemoneypodcast.com. He's Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on, buddy? I'm doing great, my friend. Good to see you guys. And I like your gentle introduction that basically means I'm overexposed. So if you, you're seeing me, it's... <laughs> you see him everywhere, but you still see him here. But you don't yeah. get to see him with us talking about this sequence of races anywhere else. I'll point that out. And that's what we're going to dive into right now. This pick six on Saturday brought to you by our friends at Santa Anita. We start off with this $20,000 claimer. We're going a mile on the dirt field of six going post where Nick will start with you yeah it looked to me like the balance of power in this race was mainly shifted towards the outside um felt like one of those three would probably get it done to me good juju looks like the main speed and uh, I think one of the things that's made Antonio Fresu really capable of staying in this colony is that he knows how to get horses to the front and he's actually very good I think towards the front um his, his hands are quiet and um and I think that's generally what's helped quite a bit. Um, I, I guess I shouldn't shortchange Settecento, who's breaking from the rail, who probably has a little bit of a chance. But I thought this was a good opportunity for good Juju to really kind of try and take advantage of, of the pace edge and the field that he ran into back with two rivers over in Gazalia closing weekend at Del Mar. Closing day actually was much, much better than this one. And I know they've they've kind of kept him active. Mark Glatzbarn's really woken up since they got back to Santa Anita. And I expect this one to kind of keep going. I get it. It seems like an obvious uh, choice there. 
in the first leg of this pick six. Is that how you see it too, Duke? Does good Juju have a pace advantage and, and will be tough to deny, or you got something else to pull in? No, I think he does. Uh, the old Setacento way back, I think, used to go to the lead, but that barn, uh, the nap barn, hasn't been uh, firing on all cylinders in the last uh, few months. And and like uh, Nick said, uh, Mark Clatt is like lights out right now. I think he's I think he's somewhere in the 40-50% range, and he might just stalk uh, the one or the three and just take over. I think I think that would be. I don't think they'll be going crazy or anything, but I think they'll be right on the pace, stalking. Probably inherit the lead, ter- turn it for home, and the only horse I think that could come and get him might be uh, Zimba Warrior. Zimba Warrior would be my second choice. Just dropping in class and uh, just fits better, I think, with this kind of group. So I was just six and four. Six would be my A, four would be my B. What have you thought of Freysu generally as a jock out there, Duke? I've, I've been impressed at times. I don't watch as often as you do, though. He's 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 sort of, I mean, he's okay. I mean, I I think the California jockeys have slipped, you know, the, the colony has slipped so so low that he he looks like a good rider you know maybe he is maybe he isn't but i t- i can't wait to see if uh i heard uh, frankie detori might be coming uh yes. uh for a for another round in, in california i can't wait to see that because that's that's the you know he's a real rider when i look at riding you know he's a real rider place two hasn't proven that he's he's in that in that league yet he's made some mistakes and and then uh, he looks okay on a horse, but he's—I uh, don't know. I just not. I'm not. I'm not sold yet. This uh, meet coming the cha- the championship meet coming, or it's not really called the championship meet. It's the uh, it's the it's the big meet. It's the it's the one that starts on Boxing Day and and goes through April's. So going to once again have a big infusion of jockey talent between the Tory and I would imagine seeing John Velasquez back there for some of the big days. So it'll 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 definitely be uh, the the dial will be pointing uh, straight up in terms of jockey talent. Come we need it. That's for sure. <laughs> Let's pivot. To race number five, where we've got maidens, cowbred maidens, going uh, six and a half. Um, this was not down the hill. I, I think this is on the. I think this is on the oval, out of the chute. And Duke, we'll keep it with you for your thought on this one. Uh, this is this is on the flat. This is coming out of the chute. This is yeah. This is out of the chute. This is not down the hill. Okay. Um, I narrowed it down to three or four horses that I think, uh, you know, are usable in here. But my top choice would be number four, Mana Rose. I thought um, ran a solid uh, second last time, was involved in the pace, could possibly shake loose in this field going six and a half because he's stretching out a little bit. Could possibly get the lead, especially with Maldonado. Maldonado likes to go to the lead. Um, Not sure where, why JJ's off. That's kind of strange, isn't it? No Hernandez on the source. Is he not riding that? He's not in this race. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember if I saw him anywhere anywhere else on the day. Did you notice, Nick? Uh, it looks like he's not riding Saturday at Santa Anita. I don't know where he's riding. That yeah, makes but... me feel better about my pick because yeah. I don't understand why they would take him off. Right. Um, a horse like that. Um, but anyway, Manor Rose is definitely going to be my top choice. But I think there's a couple others that have chances. The Carla Gaines barn has really come to life at, at Santa Anita, like the uh, Glock barn. And I think both of her horses have a, have a decent chance. Uh, 
Rispoli shows up on the nine, which is a first time starter. Um, I have to respect that. And and the two did ran a decent race uh, first time out, ran a decent third uh, to grazed. And that was the race that Manor Rose was in and uh, had a little bit of trouble in there. So I'm a four over two and nine would be my backups. Four over two and nine for Duke. How do you see this one, Nick? I didn't see it terribly differently. I think the only horse that I'd probably want to go out of my way to mention was I, I thought the uh I thought the pedigree on the seven city of angels was interesting enough. Um the damn Chickalele was a four time winner on the turf at City of Light, so I could see him improving. He did run a better race at second asking for Mike Pipey, so I think there's a little little room for upside or a little room for improvement there. Mana Rose looks clearly like the horse to beat to me. And um and, and Antibus as uh, as Duke said made perfect sense. So it looked kind of chalky to me. Four seven and two for you, Nick. Does that sound about yeah. right? Exactly. All right. Let's pivot to race number six. Where we've got thirty five thousand dollar claimers. We're going a mile on the dirt for this field of six. Nick, who's your idea of the winner? Yeah, I, I thought Brightleaf would be tough to handle in here. This was kind of a mess last time. Uh, Raylu had this horse along the inside, lost some ground, re rallied really slow pace, much better field to me than he's meeting here. So it, it looked like a, a really good opportunity for him. I don't really love this double bug rider, um, but I do think the weight advantage could help a little bit in that there's not an abundance of speed in here. This horse doesn't have much speed, but if he can at least get a stalking spot, that might uh, that might get him into a pretty soft trip. So I kind of thought Brightleaf was a, a little bit of a standout for me. I could use Offjohn, who's now in the care of uh, Jeff Mullins. He's got some dirt races going back that make him very competitive. Uh, I don't really love the New York dirt form in terms of how it holds up really anywhere anymore, um, as, as the dirt program has been pretty much abandoned for eight months a year. But this horse at least was competitive in, in, in places where uh, I think the competition is a little bit comparable to what he's meeting here from a speed trigger perspective, at least. Four and five for Nick there in this sixth race. Duke, where are you? I don't have a strong opinion in this race. Uh, I had it down to three horses. I think I think the two-horse Elevado might get a little bit of a pace edge if, if the one is no good. I'm assuming the one's going to go to the lead, but 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 going to stop. So I thought Elevado might be the in the stalking position, which is very good at Santa Anita, stretching out. Um, I gave him a look. I don't really love the burn change because Mark Glad's been going so so good, but mm-hmm. um, but I still think the horse has a chance. Obviously, Af Jan off the um, New York Forum on dirt is solid here. I think the switch to Mullins might improve that horse a little bit because he didn't have the greatest trainers uh, in New York, and I think that might be a step up for him. And and Nick mentioned Brightleaf. I think he's a must use. Uh, I don't. I couldn't single him or anything like that, but I'll, I'm just going to use two, four, and five. <laughs> A little bit of a frustrating race in the picks, right? When you got a field of six and you feel like you got to use three, but I'm I'm tempted to uh, to agree with you the way I see it uh, playing out. I think that's an interesting case about Elevato just sort of locking into the perfect trip. We'll see if the bug can move at the right time on Bright Leaf. That would also be my little bit of a concern there. Let's move to race seven. Two-year-olds, Calbred, Maidens, a mile on the turf. Certainly an interesting condition where... Uh, breeding and such comes into play as much as the, the the fundamentals of of normal handicapping duke did you have a strong opinion in here can we get skinny or do we have to throw a blanket over a few weeks? <laughs> i don't think you're going to get skinny in this race if you 
I mean, you could give it a shot and go get skidding this race, but this race is the hardest race on the card. Um, I wish there wasn't as much speed, you know, signed up. Like, I wish the one wasn't in the race because I kind of like Immelman. I thought Immelman ran a really good race on the turf last time. The horse just seems like he gets better and better every race he runs, but I'm, I'm scared with the one in there. The one just looks like he's got, he's got the, you know, the girl rider just going to let him roll and, that's, I don't know if Immelman can sit and win. So that, I mean, I'm going to use him, but I'm not definitely not singling, you know, Immelman in here. I don't know really where to go. I mean, there's a lot of ways to go. You could use the, the, the six high King had a one post, you know, sprinting last time, got left a little bit, I think on the stretch out, probably a use. Um, I think you could go with the, the seven long jacket Sadler horse. He had a 10 post first time out going a mile which is you know death at del mar so i think you could use that horse i think the bottom horse helen's son has a little bit of breeding uh not thrilled with the golden sense on the sire side but the mares had a couple winners on grass and mike mccarthy's been really red hot uh, with these young horses on the grass so i don't know i mean if i had to if i had to stick my neck out i'd go with the four but i think four six seven nine maybe Makes sense. Uh, one other angle on Helen's son, first time gelding, uh, which could certainly uh, bring that one bring that one forward. Um, and Rispoli in the irons, I don't mind to see that at all going a mile on the turf, especially you know this 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 could turn into a little bit of a rider's race if if it, it's honestly uh, ridden up front as well. Nick, how about you? Any any more uh, precision in here, or, or do you want to spread with three or four of them? Yeah, I think it was one where you had to kind of cast a bit of a wider net. I'll tell you a horse that I'm definitely going to use is the five light dragoon. I wish the percentages were a little bit better on Blaine Wright, turf to synthetic to turf, and second time out and first time turf additionally. But this is the horse with real turf pedigree, and um, and I thought he handled the synthetic well enough. I know those Golden Gate races are are definitely on the weaker side. Um, for what it's worth, the second place horse from his debut did come back and win. So I mean, maybe that tells you there's a little bit of quality there. I know it's a it's a bit of a stretch to take a horse just with this kind of look to him uh, going to a mile on turf, but it's so hard to trust the ones with decent-looking, proven form at this point. Immelman felt like an obvious horse to me, but you know this is still a horse from a, a small-time barn that ran well enough last time, but certainly not, uh, not good enough to win here if anybody takes a bit of a step forward. So that's why I wanted to try uh, Light Dragoon. I thought Helen's son was a little interesting as well, as Duke mentioned, to have to Teddy's Barino, who was really good down the hill and already gelded, as you mentioned as well, Pete. Nestuka, to me, was a horse that uh, that probably took more advantage of it pace-wise last time out, but at least took a bit of a step forward on the turf. So I'll make sure I've got all, uh, all three of those involved in, in the mix because this is a definitely very, very tough leg. It's interesting. This question for you, Duke. When you see these horses who were going shorter and closing, like Nishtuka and like um, and like Light Dragon, were stretching out to the mile, I get torn between my general bias against closing sprinters stretching out, and then taking a look and being like, "But wait, on pedigree, maybe this is just what the horse wanted to do all along." Maybe it wasn't so much that they were closer in their one race so much as they were sort of figuring things out. I tend to be less um, critical of the closing sprinter stretching out going when they're going a, a mile on turf and they've only had one start. How do you do you have numbers that you look at to help you ascertain, you know, how how they're going to deal with the stretch out? 
It's tough. Um, I, I think with two-year-olds, you have to use the, the, the braiding and I use, I use the mare side. I, I try to look and see, uh, what the past, uh, foals have done at longer distances. So, I mean, a horse like Mistuka, I got nothing, I got nothing to go off of. Cause I think this is a first foal. So I mean, it's tough. You, you're kind of guessing because you, and generally, like you said, I don't like closing sprinter stretching out. I like horses that are sort of running, uh, one speed or show speed and quit a little bit better than a horse that comes from behind because usually they flatten out when they go two turns. It's a really difficult thing to do. If you have breeding, um, if you have breeding information on the mare side, look and see what the foals did going longer, you know, longer distances. And, and I would go with those, but, but again, yeah, it's never been easier to get that information. I mean, formulator for DRF, you can just click on that click on the dams and get a look at, you can look at the individual PPs of the produce, or you could just see like a little snapshot view as well. They're not even sponsors, but I program, I plug them because I find that's such a useful, a useful little feature when it comes to this stuff. How about you, Nick, to bring you back in just on this very topic? I mean, obviously you picked two horses in this situation, so you're not anti, but is it, is it really down to the breeding like Duke was saying, or is there, there's something else you look at when trying to figure out if they're going to stretch or not? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm generally going to be more inclined to take the ones that maybe went against race flow, um, but it's this is a this is admittedly one of the weaker parts of my game is I'll see people talk about liking horses that I think are just closing sprinters going a mile trip and they'll outrun expectations. It, it feels to me, and this is purely anecdotal, that those horses generally have done okay at Saratoga. Um, a mile at Saratoga is very very tricky. It's a race I think that doesn't have a lot of consistency in terms of the way things play out on a regular basis. So. Uh, it, it is it is difficult, I, I think, to to take a standard approach to it. You kind of have to take it race by race. So I'm I'm more inclined to say, you know, yeah, as a rule, I'd, I'd rather those that maybe were a little against the race flow and, and are geared pedigree-wise towards going longer. It's like the, the old saying goes, unfortunately, to a lot of people, they, they want easy answers when it comes to handicapping, when it comes to playing the horses. The right answer so often is simply, it depends. Let's move to race number Well, yeah, eight. you know what, actually, on that, because this is a good topic, and I mean, Please. we don't get an opportunity to talk about a lot of these things with somebody like Duke, but I mean, when my father taught me the game 30-plus years ago, he told me that sprinters, that horses stretching out from sprints to routes show speed, and that used to be true. It's not anymore, in my opinion. I mean, the, the reliability on horses stretching out showing speed is gone, and it seems to me as if modern trainers are now terrified of their horses going a distance, and so they actually rate them more often than not, and that's a huge problem in terms of of trying to figure out what's going to happen, and I mean, that might be just something I've seen or something I overrate a little bit, but it really blows my mind how often I see it. No, it's, it's a very, very, very good, very good point. I think modern training has changed has changed the game with with stretch outs. So and not only that, the modern jockeys have changed the game with stretch out. Nobody wants to go to the lead. I mean, you look at every route race, you look at races at parks, you look at races everywhere, except for Santa Anita. They seem to still they still seem to go decent fractures, but everywhere they're going twenty five to the quarter. That's that's just not racehorse time. They're 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 going too slow. So you don't get a true you don't get a true inclination of, of what a horse can really do if you, if they're going to go twenty five. You know, if they're everybody's going to grab, you, it's not a true race, and you know that as you as a as a speed figure guy, Nick. I mean, you just can't figure out that race becomes almost becomes almost meaningless, except for the fact that the horses that are behind had no chance whatsoever. 
Yeah, I was. It's amazing, amazing how often it happens. See, it's amazing how often it happens to the point where it actually ends up hurting the speed horses because yes. they back it down so much, right? I mean, that's and that's kind of the the push pull of it is is what you're saying is that it gives no no edge to the horses trying to come from off of it, and sometimes the edge the horses on the lead have it just evaporates as well. It's amazing. And I think that one the one time I found that you can sometimes guess when that's going to happen reliably is, you know, maybe in a mi- horse going a mile and an eighth for the first time, horses where you can kind of tell the connections and maybe put the bug in the jockey's ear. Well, we're not we're not exactly sure about how far we're going to stay. And you'll see more conservative riding in those spots. And then the other thing, and I haven't really tracked this, but I sense that it's a factor is the politics and if there is a big favorite trained by somebody who jockey X might ride for under other circumstances or might want to ride for, even if tactically it might make the most sense, their best chance to win is going very often in that situation. I'll see them grab. Does that sound like conspiracy theory to you, Duke, or does that sound about right? Uh, I, I love that. I love that analogy because I think that's happening all over. I think we have a big problem with uh, jockey collusion. And I, I'm not saying they do it up to, anything to do with betting. I just think they do it for their business. Right. Their business is to ride good horses. So they're not, they don't want to, you know, duel with a Chad Brown. They don't want to duel with a Bob Baffert horse if they got a chance to ride one of those horses. And I think there's a lot of that, that we have to straighten out in this game. There's a lot of things we got to straighten out in this game, but that's one of them. That's one big thing. I think that we have to figure out where these guys got to get back and compete. We got to compete at every race, not just, once in a while. And I think, uh, you know, the guys that are the, that, um, are the big problem guys. And I, I could go, I could talk about this all day, but, <laughs> um, this is what I do. I analyze, I, I have, to, I have to go through my life has become analyzing jockeys because I have no idea who's going to go to the lead. Whenever I try to figure out who's saving ground today, who's wide today, who's, who likes to go to the lead, who likes to close. I don't know anymore because you don't. I don't think anybody has a style. Nobody seems to have a style besides like Kyle Frey. He lets horses roll. You know, like I like that because at least I know he's going. You know what they're going to do. He's to know what he's doing. Edwin Maldonado. He's going. Yeah, I like that. But you you look at a guy like Joel Rosario. You look at a guy like Jose Ortiz. You have no idea. You have no idea what their style is. I mean, I have no clue. I mean, just don't know. Guys, this is a good tangent, and we could do a whole show on it and how it affects jockey tendencies and how it affects race design, a term I first probably heard from you, Duke. But let's let's uh, put a pin in that and get to the last couple of races in the sequence, starting with our stakes race, the featured race of the day, the uh, Anoakia. Anoakia? Is that how they say it? Anoakia stakes? I'm embarrassed. I'm going to probably get hate mail from people in California as a result of that. Nokia. Nokia. That was my that's that was my first thought, and then I started reading every level, every syllable, and and I got myself in trouble. Nokia stakes, two year old fillies, six furlongs, short field. Can we get a long price, Nick Tamler? I don't think so. I mean, I don't even know what the longest price in here is going to be. It's probably not going to be much more than than twelve to one or so. I guess Dua is going to be favored. Um, you know, there's no morning line out as of right now, but. She seems like a horse that, that takes money every time. She's been she's been pretty bad, quite honestly, in her two starts since her maiden win, uh, which is a race that didn't hold up at all, speed figure wise, form wise, from any of the runbacks. 
And I didn't really think much of the chandelier. I thought it was was kind of an average looking race where Chattelis set a slow pace or moderate pace and went on with it. So, uh, you know, Dua would be the likeliest winner to me. I'm a little intrigued maybe by Becky's dream coming back. This is a, an odd situation with a French bred horse with an American pedigree, of course, um, that debuted very impressively and came back and actually ran very well in the face of tip debutant. You know, as we f- end up finding out as the year goes on, the midsummer, the I should say the early summer two-year-old races are often very weak in comparison to what we see middle to the latter part of the summer. But even for this race, this is a pretty weak running of this race. So I'm not altogether certain that Becky's dream can't make a little bit of noise. I'll use both of those two. I'll use Sandy Bottom as well. I hate using going, you know, multiple horses deep in a five horse race, but I just don't have enough confidence in any of the, uh, really in anybody in here, period. Duke, let's bring you back in. I'm sure you caught my reference to our, uh, our late great friend Jeff Sotman and his that that was his whole uh, handicapping contest action in these races was to find in the short field one that you can latch onto at a bit of a number. But I think Nick might might be right. It might not be possible in this particular group. Well, I think Becky's dream is going to get overlooked. So I think in the in honor of Jeff uh, Sotman, uh, <laughs> Becky's dream would be the horse. I mean, you're talking about a horse that ran in late May and mid June. Now. A two-year-old that ran back then, as Nick will know, as a speed figure guy, horses like that can actually improve from June to, you know, October. So she's already running decent enough figures to compete with these horses. So I think with the improvement from the time off and this trainer, I don't have any clue who he is, but he took over, I think, for uh, Hector Palma has done quite well since he's since he's taken over these horses. And um, I don't love going five, you know, the... I mean, he's, he's only ran five furlongs, but I think with all those works, I don't think it'll be any problem going six. Um, yeah. I just see Becky's dream being the horse. I think uh, Mr. Stockman would have, would have gone <laughs> and I'm going to, and I'm going to go with myself just because I just think she'll be the price. I think she will be uh, in the five, six to one range. Any others to mention or just take a little shot with, uh, with uh, Becky's dream in here. I just think Dua, like Nick said, has been disappointing. He, she is cutting back. Uh, that could help, but Baffert's horses in the last you know year or so haven't they haven't had that big you know like improvement from race to race to race like they used to, and and I just don't see this horse uh, improving that much. Sandy Bottom would be my second choice. Comes out of a live race uh, with a winner and two second uh, two second place finishers out of the race. Thought it was a live maiden race, uh, so. Sandy Bottom will be my second choice. I'm five and one. More two-year-olds in our nightcap race number nine. We've got these maidens going six furlongs on the dirt. Duke, when it comes to this pick six on Saturday, how are we going to get paid? Well, now you got Mr. Baffert here with three of them. So you got to try to try to figure out which one's the best one, which is going to be difficult. It's funny that he put Kyle Frey on uh, the three Nisos because he he put Kyle Frey on a horse uh, last week that just opened up and aired. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw that race. It came from the one post. Um, and maybe he he liked the way he rode that horse. Maybe he put him on this one too. I, I'm not sure. This horse has been working pretty well uh, according to the clockers too. Got a couple B-plus workouts and, uh, you know, really fits. It's by Nyquist. And uh, I think... I think that one is the one I'm going to go with the Baffert. The horse to beat is the 10. EJ won the cup. Comes out of a super, super live race that Slider won. Slider came back and won on the grass the other day. 
Uh, he blew the turn and still won on the grass the other day. So Slider is a real horse. Um, I'm really just going to try to get by with three and 10. Uh, that might be a little bit crazy, but because Baffert's got two more in there and Mike Smith's on one of them, but uh, I'll let Nick uh, try to decide for the rest of these two-year-olds. We'll start. We'll start with that key question, Nick. Are you with Baffert or against him? I mean, I, I guess as you alluded to, it's sort of which Baffert, right? I mean, you're you're kind of trying to figure out where to go amongst these this trio. Um, one of whom, Urban Legend, on the rail worked exceptionally fast at auction, went nine and three, which you really don't see that that kind of number too often. Um, but that's that was the work that was posted back in, in Ocala in April. That was part of the reason why the horse went for one point three million dollars. Um, you also had a fast workout from the five tracker who worked 10 flat at, uh, at OBS in March and, um, and is out of a, a decent mare for, uh, John Sadler, uh, on debut. So, you know, there, there are a couple of options there. I, I agree with EJ won the cup. I think the problem for me with EJ won the cup is that I thought that pace was relatively slow. The blinkers are going on, but one of these Bafferts is going to show speed as well. So I would, I guess I'm going to, I'm going to guess on my picks with urban legend. I haven't seen the workout reports. Duke mentioned that Nysos is working pretty well, so it could end up that he's probably the right one. But this is just a super tough race to handicap, you know, 48 hours in advance, not really knowing necessarily who's working well. and Also not having the benefit of seeing who's taking any money with this as the last race. This feels like the old days at Hollywood Park. Um, this is a race that, that really would have been better served for the public a little bit earlier, but it's the only big field on the card, so I understand why they did it in the nightcap. We had a question come in that we'll get to before we get out of here about the U.S. adopting some sort of a system a la in, in Hong Kong, where when a horse is going to change its running style, that has to be like reported to, uh, ahead of time. And, you know, stewards are paying attention to this and, and if tactics are not uh, delineated correctly and then obeyed, there could be fine suspensions. Is this a system that you'd like to see in the U.S.? Is it something you think we'd ever see in the u.s do i'll start with you um i'd like to see it i mean i don't i don't even know if i'm not sure our jockeys are capable of 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 knowing what they're going to do you know what i mean like at least over there that like when they say they're going to be they're going to run they're going to take a horse back they call it running cold they take the horse back to last they they actually just do that like in hong kong they 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 go right back to last over here i could see like Joel Rosario is saying, I'm going to take the source back to last, but then nobody goes. He ends up on the lead. I mean, I, 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 I could really see that happening. That's how silly that sounds, but, but I could see that happening in a race because sometimes they go so damn slow. Sometimes races over here go 26, 27 to the quarter, almost these route races. And, and you could see that happening. So, I mean, I'm not sure that's going to solve anything. I would like to know that their intent is to take back, but, um, I'm not sure it's going to solve anything. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Duke. Unfortunately, I think there's a better chance of he and I becoming jockeys than jockeys <laughs> actually having to explain themselves. And and I tack a few too many pounds, I'll admit. So um, it's going to be really hard for that to happen. The other thing is that, you know, quite honestly, um, our stewarding system here really gives the stewards very little opportunity to exert that type of authority over the racing product. And I think that's part by force, part by choice. Um, you know, the the stewards, in my experience, are generally concerned with things that are a little bit more maybe cosmetic at times. And uh, but it would be great to have 
to have them call one of the jockeys on the phone in the room and say, you know, you're on a horse that went to the lead three straight times. Well, why were you last? Or why were you so far off the pace? And just kind of set up a system of that. The problem is that in order for it to be enacted for really a, on a large scale, you have to start somewhere and you have to start doing it pretty consistently. You'd only imagine that in a place where the stewards are consistent among all the racetracks, would it really work? So um, it'd be great, but it seems like a long shot. Yeah, I, I don't mind the idea. Certainly might help address some of those issues we were talking about earlier in the show. Richard has a question about a trainer with multiple entries in a race. And he's talking about Baffert specifically. Um, and, 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 you know, is that I, I don't know if he's uh, asking this as, as if it's a, a big problem or just a, a reality. But when a trainer has more than one in a race, aren't they able to dictate the pace of the race? I think the obvious answer is is yes. Um, how does it affect your handicapping, Duke, when that when that situation is? I mean, you're left kind of guessing, I suppose. Do you, you know, would you rather see a. You w I'm guessing you wouldn't rather see coupled entries. That's how they used to deal with this kind of stuff. But what what is the reality of a trainer having more than one in a race for the modern horse player? I actually would rather see coupled entries. I mean, I know it's not good as a, as a as a gambler because uh, this Baffert entry would be one to five. You know, if you right. had three horses in a race, it'd be one to five. So it's not it's it's not a good gambling opportunity. But on the other hand, I'd rather not lose because. He decides to uh, give one horse a race and, you know, and I don't know it, you know, I mean, he, he doesn't generally do that, Bob Effort, so I'm not. Well, they go, they show up ready. Yeah, they, they're, they're, he's not coming out here and saying, okay, I'm going to sit with the one, I'm going to go with, he, he's not, he, first of all, we can give a lot of guys a lot of credit. He's, he's a great trainer. He gets horses to do great things. He's not that good. He's not that good to, to say, okay, the one's faster than the three and the three's Three's faster than the five. So we're going with the three. We're sitting with the one and the five. I guarantee you he does not know that if you asked him. I, I, I would, I'd bet a million dollars. So when we get into that, I mean, we go back to the gambling part. If they were a coupled entry, at least you know you got all three and you're not guessing. So when you play a pick six, how do you play it? You know, which one of these three am I going to use? I mean, it, it's just, it's so difficult. I don't think you should be allowed to enter three horses in one race, my own opinion. He should have to find three different races for these horses. And I think that's the only solution. That's interesting. I think, so what you think happens though is, so they all go in there, they break, and the jockeys just play the break. They're certainly going to know not to go like on a wild duel against one of their others though, right? I mean, they, you never see that happen. So I'll assume it's dictated. Uh, uh, I, I don't believe so. My own opinion, no. I've watched so many races in my lifetime. I don't believe that they know they, they have a plan. I really don't. I don't think there's a plan between these three Baffertors. I think they just go. They, I wouldn't be surprised if two of them duel, really, because they're they're two year olds. They're fast. I mean, it's too hard to slow one of them down if if they're well, quick enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I I just don't see it. I don't see that as being uh, the problem in in California. Number one, uh, I just think he should only have to have one in the race, so we can only, you know, have one Baffert, and not, it, just so that. So that the idea of it isn't doesn't look bad. It looks bad because a lot of times one of the longer ones wins, right? So what you remember, you remember that day that the eight to one beat the even money Baffert, and you say, okay, he got us. But ba Baffert doesn't bet, so like there's no chance he bet the eight to one. I mean, not a chance in hell. So it's not. It's not like he's doing it for any um, monetary reason whatsoever. 
and looking at the numbers in aggregate, as much as we all want to say that the longer price wins more and is better, if you look at the numbers, and Marshall Graham has done this, it's not, it's a psychological effect. It's not actually real. Right. You actually make more money. You'd lose less money betting on the Baffert favorite than you would the Baffert long shot. Though I certainly understand the impulse of throwing in the longer shots in uh, pick bets, especially in spread races. Nick, We'll close it out with you, just with your thought on how to handle this, just in general, as a horse player, when a trainer has more than one horse in a race, knowing that it's different a little bit every time. Is there something general you can throw at us to to close us out? I mean, it's just part of the overall frustration with not knowing tactics in general. Um, as Duke said, you know, Baffert and a lot of these guys aren't betting. So as much as we may think they're doing something on board when a longer priced horse wins, I think it's just simply the way it shakes out. I think really... Really, the best modern example of this is that we see an abundance of these turf races with multiple Chad Brown horses. And, you know, if, if look, there's a race coming up at Aqueduct in 15 minutes where he's going to start a heavily one half of a heavily favored entry and another horse who's entered on her own. And I mean, if we were to see a, a stark tactic change in one of those two and the longer price wins, we're all going to think that it's a bunch of crap. Right. So, I mean, we're going to and, and our, our own recency bias is going to turn it into a self-fulfilling prophecy, which is that this is just yet another way they found a way to, to cheat us. But nobody's doing that. So it's. Oh, you muted yourself there. Oh, your your AirPod fell out. We still don't have you back. because you, I think you're back. No, we still lost him. Now you're back. I'm back now. So. Yeah, now I'm back. But yeah, so that's basically it. Um, if you if you could find a system where we were guaranteed a little bit more to know kind of what was going to go on, that would be ideal. That seems far fetched, but um, yeah, it would be better to have a little protection. Guys, this has been fun. Not just going over the races. Actually, the going over the races was the least of the fun. Terrific side chatter and hopefully stuff that will help people. Um, as they look at these races this weekend and beyond. You're both going to be part of our Breeders' Cup coverage going forward um, in themoneypodcast.com. That's the best place to go to see the content that we have going up daily. And then we have a free email newsletter that'll show you special shows and upcoming live streams, things like that, in themoneypodcast.com slash email. For Nick Tamaro, for Duke Matisse, for Chappie and our pals at Santa Anita, I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. Oh, one more. Thank you, producer AJ, for coming in last minute to help out with the show. Always appreciate you. May you win all your photos. <laughs>